this new series with you, Frontline Sundays, and uh, we had a wonderful response to uh, Volunteer Sunday, our appeal uh, last Sunday. If you if you remember, calling people to uh, get involved in different uh, things and, and ministries. Uh, and so, if you like, if if last Sunday uh, Volunteer Sunday was about uh, the saints gathered, then uh, this Sunday and the next four Sundays after this set of five Sundays is is about the saints scattered. Uh, So last Sunday was about really our gathering, and the next five Sundays is about our scattering. And if you think about it, we only spend a tiny fraction of our time gathering, and we spend the vast majority of our time out there scattered and in contact with so many different people who don't know the Lord Jesus. If you look at your pew sheet, uh, we're using this language of front lines, and you'll see it in bold. The definition of, of your front lines are the everyday places where we live, work, study, or play, and where we're likely to connect with people who aren't Christians. Uh, and so the big idea of uh, being gathered and scattered, it's not just a kind of fancy diagram that you can see up on the uh, screen, uh, it's in the scriptures. And it's in the, the reading that we're going to be looking at this morning. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. It would be great if you uh, had that uh, open in front of you. And, and I want to show you this, this, this concept of gathering and scattering from uh, the reading. So uh, he says, to the exiles of the dispersion. This is 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. Uh, to the exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. This is modern-day uh, curtain. Um, Turkey. Don't ask me where I got curtain from. Uh, that's where we are, isn't it? Uh, so modern day Turkey. Uh, so uh, the gathering isn't explicit, but it's um, implicit in the text because um, whenever one of the apostles wrote uh, a letter to the church, they would read it out during the gathering. Uh, that's what they did for church. If they, they, they got a letter uh, from the apostle and it was during the gatherings on, on Sundays of worship that they would read out um, the epistles, that they would read out the letter. And so you can see uh, that that that's the gathering of the saints, but uh, you see the scattering there in verse 1. He says, to the exiles of the dispersion. In other words, they're dispersed. They're dispersed across Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. Uh, Most translations, instead of um, dispersion, it says, to the exiles who are scattered throughout the provinces. If you read other Bible translations, it uses scattered rather than uh, the dispersion. And so um, today what we're going to be talking about is how do we live for Jesus out there? How do we live for Jesus um, when we're scattered throughout the world? And, and we're going to be looking at something that's absolutely crucial in helping us to understand what it looks like for us to uh, live as disciples of Jesus when we're scattered throughout the world on the front lines. And so firstly, we're going to look at what that theme is that's so absolutely crucial. And then we're going to look at the test, the, the test that you can apply to, to see whether or not you understand the theme or, or you might fail the test. And then finally, we're going to look at the power that we need uh, to be able to live like this, to, to be able to pass the test. So firstly, let's look at what this theme is that's so absolutely crucial to understand in order for us to live for Jesus on the front lines. And, and it's there in, in verse 1. He, he calls the Christians exiles. He says, to the exiles. Um, if you go to the, the second part, um, 1 Peter 2 verse 11, uh, again he says, dear friends, I urge you as 
foreigners and exiles. Now, these guys are living in their hometown and in their home place. But Peter is saying all Christians are foreigners. All Christians are exiles. It's not talking about your uh, physical geography. The, the word for exile is parapodemos, okay? And, and Tim Keller says that, that the translation exile is, is, uh, is too general a word because Peter, when he uses that word, he has something very specific in mind. And so um, a more accurate translation would be resident aliens, Resident aliens, which, which means on the one hand, you're not a tourist. Uh, you are in another country in which uh, you're not actually uh, a citizen, uh, but you're a tourist. Uh, sorry, you're not a tourist, you're, you're, but you're neither are you a citizen because you actually live in that place. You've got residential status, you've got a job, you've got neighbours, you're a functioning part of the society, you speak the language, and so uh, you're not just a tourist. In other words, you're not someone without any uh, roots, uh, who doesn't really care about your impact on your uh, environment because you're just passing through anyway. Uh, You're not someone who doesn't care to make any friends or any close connections because who cares, I'm going to be leaving in a few days anyway. Uh, On the one hand, you're not a tourist, but on the other hand, you're not a citizen either. Paul in Philippians, he says, our citizenship is in heaven, which means that this world is not actually our home. So even though you might look the same as your neighbours, you might talk the same, you might eat the same, uh, people still kind of look at you as if you're a little bit weird, as if you're a little bit strange, because you don't share all of the values that they share. All through the scriptures, the Bible says, you're foreigners, you're strangers. And of course, if there's one thing about strangers, it's that they're strange. You're foreigners, you're exiles, you're strangers. You're a resident alien. And so on the one hand, you're not a tourist just passing through. But on the other hand, you're not a citizen. This place is not your home. And so one of the implications of all this, and and this word has a long history throughout the church, is that we're all pilgrims. You know that phrase, pilgrim's progress, which means we're on our way home, but we haven't arrived yet. We're all pilgrims. We're, We're not home. Uh, so just a few weeks ago, Ruth and I uh, took the family on holidays down in, in Binningup and we stayed in a, a lovely uh, house, an Airbnb. And, and, and believe it or not, Ruth and I had three different bedrooms to choose from with three different beds for, for us. So the girls were all sorted. We had three rooms, three beds to choose from. And, and it was a really nice house and, and we had a great time and the bed was fine. But uh, when we get home... And lie down in our bed after three nights away, Ruth straight away says, Ah, it's so good to be back in your own bed. There's no other bed like your bed. Now, why is that? Well, it's because you've been there long enough, you've had 
years and years to get it exactly right. The the mattress, the pillow, the sheets, not too hard, not too soft, not too squishy, not too this, not too that. But but when you go and stay in in an Airbnb or, or or a hotel, no matter how nice that hotel might be, they haven't given any thought to any of your specifications. And so when we finally come home where you've taken the time to make sure Everything fits your height, your weight, your preferences, your positioning. (sighs) You see, home is where everything fits. Peter is saying, right here, right now, even in Cottesloe, we're not home. It doesn't fit. There are sharks out there. You see, our real home, our real ultimate destiny is a place where everything fits down to the very deepest longings of your soul. Uh, During our series last year uh, called Life in Babylon, where the Israelites were exiles in in Babylon, I, I heard someone say, well, well, we're not exiles. That, that was about, remember, the Israelites were taken out uh, from their home country to Babylon. And some saying, well, we're not exiles. We're born here and, and we live here. But, but Peter is saying in 1 Peter 1, you are exiles. You're all exiles and strangers and foreigners. You're resident aliens. And, of course, this goes all the way back to the beginning of the Bible in Genesis 1 to 3 where we discover that we were made for paradise. We were made for perfection where everything fits in a beautiful garden. But we lost it. We lost it because of our sins. And now we live in a place that's infected with death and destruction and depression and decay. It's no wonder that that TV program, Grand Designs, I don't don't know if you ever see it when you're channel surfing, it's no wonder that that's such a popular show. We were made to dwell in a place where everything fits perfectly, a place called home. And you know what Jesus said to his disciples once? He said, in my father's house, there are many rooms. And you know what? I'm going to prepare a place for you. A place that fits perfectly down to the deepest longings of your soul. And Peter's saying, this is not the place. It's not here. And that means we're all pilgrims. That's the theme. But Peter gives a test. It's a test to see if you're actually living like exiles to see if you're actually living like pilgrims. And the test is in 1 Peter 2, verse 12, the second part of that reading, where he says, conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles. In other words, among the people who don't know God, when you're scattered, when you're on the front lines, conduct yourselves honorably among them so that though they malign you as evildoers, they may see your honorable deeds. This is the sentence of the day. Peter's quoting the Lord Jesus and the sentence of the day, that they may see your honourable deeds and glorify him when he comes to judge. So if you're living the, the life of an exile amongst the Gentiles in your workplace, in your home, in your community, in the schools, if you really understand what Peter's talking about here, he says two things are going to happen. And these, this is the test. Firstly, notice he doesn't say, 
if you live a really good life, if you conduct yourselves honorably, then they're all going to glorify God and give praise. He doesn't say that. Gee, I hope you're with me. 1 Peter 2. No, he says, if you live a really good life, you're going to be accused. You're going to be maligned. You're going to be misunderstood. You're going to be rejected. They're going to think you're strange. They're going to think you're weird. They're actually going to think that some of your your ideas are dangerous. Can you see it? I hope you can see it. Though they malign you when you live a good life. But on the other hand, some of them are going to see your good deeds and glorify your father in heaven. And so what this means is that if you're living for Jesus, no matter where you are in whatever culture throughout the world, some people are going to be really, really angry and really, really offended and really, really upset. And some people are going to be really attracted. They're going to be really drawn to Jesus. And if you know anything about how people responded to Jesus while he was on the earth, How could it be any other way? He was the most beautiful and the most attractive. And he was despised and rejected. Both at the same time. Brothers and sisters, this is the test to see whether or not you're living in this world as exiles. If you get this right, if you pass the test, people are going to find you amazingly attractive and incredibly offensive at the same time. We saw this just a few months ago in the headlines with a guy called Andrew Thorburn, who was the CEO of the Essendon Football Club for less than 24 hours because he was forced to resign from his job because he he had a leadership position in a church that held to the traditional teachings, 2,000-year-old teachings, of the church on things like marriage and things like the sanctity of life. And this was deeply, deeply offensive that he couldn't last for longer than 24 hours in the job. So deeply offensive is it to hold to our traditional teachings about marriage and about the sanctity of life. And yet, if you scratch beneath the surface and you take a look at this church that he held a leadership position in there called City on a Hill, and you saw what they were doing with the homeless and the poor and the lonely and the sick and the disadvantages, disadvantage in the Melbourne CBD, you would be irresistibly drawn to their amazingly attractive ministry with, with the sick and the homeless. You can look it up. It's it's a ministry called Many Rooms. Do do, do you see? Incredibly offensive. Amazingly attractive. Not one, not the other, but both. And brothers and sisters, this has been true of the church throughout the church's history for over 2,000 years. If you get this balance right, if you pass the test. Last week I mentioned a letter from Emperor Julian in the 4th century to one of his pagan priests complaining he was complaining about how the Christians did such a wonderful job not only of caring for their own tribe but they were caring for the pagans the unbelievers and people were irresistibly drawn to them because of their honorable deeds and and you see the combination though of amazingly attractive and incredibly offensive when he writes to this priest it is their benevolence to strangers, their care for the graves of the dead, 
and the pretended holiness of their lives that have done most to increase atheism. So he's saying that people are converting to Christianity in their droves because they find their radical Christian service and their good deeds so amazingly attractive. You can almost hear Emperor Julian spitting out the words with disgust at how people are being drawn to them. And did you pick up on the language of the rise of atheism? Did you hear that? Disgusting atheism. Why atheism? Well, it's because the Christians didn't join in with their pagan worship. Their idolatry. And so they thought of them as atheists, despicable. And this was offensive. This was dangerous because if you didn't worship the gods, which was inbuilt into every part of society, the gods would be angry and they would punish them because of their atheism and not believing in God. And in fact, there was a fire that swept through Rome and the the Christians were blamed because of their atheism. Can you see this combination of amazingly attractive and yet in every culture, deeply Offensive. They were thrown to the lions. They were burned at the stake. They were both incredibly offensive and amazingly attractive. Not one and not the other, but both. You see, most Christians are either offensive but not very attractive, or they're attractive but they're not very offensive, or they're neither offensive or attractive. They're lukewarm, nothing. The fact is that to be truly offensive takes an enormous amount of courage, doesn't it? But to be truly attractive takes an enormous amount of melt-in-your-mouth, heart-warming compassion in order to be attractive. And of course, the Lord Jesus had both. If you look at the life of our Lord, so where do you get the power to live like that? Where do you get the power to live like that? I want to suggest to you that you get the power from recognizing and realizing that the Lord Jesus was the ultimate exile. He lived in eternity in the bosom of his father in glory where everything fit perfectly. Oh my goodness, from glory to glory, from eternity to eternity. And yet he was born to a poor Palestinian carpenter, a nobody from nowhere, in a feeding trough with hay and poo and animals and sheep and stinky shepherds. Jesus was the ultimate exile. You know, at one point he says, you know, foxes have holes. And birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man has no place to rest his head. That the Son of Man, whose home was in glory upon glory, is saying that while he was on earth, he was homeless, and foxes and birds had a better place to stay than he did. But his ultimate exile was. On the cross, where he was crucified outside the city gate, as far away as they could get him from the holy of holies, even though he was himself the holy of holies. And that is exactly where he belonged. He was crucified outside the gate, and his cry on the cross was, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was the ultimate exile, friends. Do you see? 
the Lord Jesus became homeless so that God could give us a home. The Lord Jesus was cast outside the city of God so that we could be brought in to the Father's love. Jesus became the ultimate exile so that we could receive the ultimate embrace of the Father. Not by works, but by grace, through faith. This is a done deal. Through him we have a permanent place at the Father's table. And so, to the degree that God's Spirit enables you to experience that love, will be the degree to which you're able to find the courage to stand up and to be bold and sometimes to be offensive for the Lord Jesus, to the degree that you're able to understand and experience that glorious love and to the degree that you're able to experience that amazing compassion, then how could it not overflow from your life and to the people that you're with on the front lines and the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control, making you fruitful on the front lines to the degree that the Spirit enables you to understand he became the ultimate exile so that you could receive the ultimate embrace. So let me finish and make this hymn our prayer. Lead on, O King Eternal, till sin's fierce war shall cease, and holiness shall whisper the sweet Amen of peace. For not with swords loud clashing or roll of stirring drums, with deeds of love and mercy, the heavenly kingdom comes. Father, we thank you for all the places where we scatter in the world. We thank you that you call us to pour ourselves out for them in love, knowing that standing for Jesus will make us both offensive and attractive. Thank you, Lord, that you were so beautiful when you were lifted up on the cross for our sins, and yet at the same time you were despised and rejected. Would you conform us more and more into the image of your son that people might see our good deeds and glorify our father in heaven? Father, would you show us what it looks like to be exiles and pilgrims, to be resident aliens living in the world, but not of the world? And so help us out there on the front lines to make Christ-like connections with people that they may be drawn to saving faith in Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.